factors into what we're talking about. We've got the omnipresence of God. We've got the infilling of God. We've got the manifest presence of God. So I've got two stories in the scripture that will show us the difference between God's omnipresence and his manifest presence. So we know that Jacob had 12 sons. They all took for themselves wives. They began to have children. And before Joseph got old enough to marry, he was sold into slavery, went into Egypt. We know the whole story. The, the 11 brothers showed up and Joseph got promoted to governor over all of Egypt. So God was watching over Joseph. There is nowhere in scripture that says that God was with Joseph. But we know that he had a dream and he held to the character of God through everything that happened in his life and that carried him through. That was the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God is powerful. God had prophesied to Abraham, your people are going to be taken away into Egypt. And it was the omnipresence of God that was fulfilling that scripture. Joseph wasn't having encounters. He wasn't receiving great revelations. He was interpreting dreams and walking in godly character. As a result, everything that was prophesied came to pass. And then we know that years later, the Israelites ended up in slavery and God heard their cries. That was his omnipresence. So there's a lot of debate right now about the omnipresence versus the manifest presence of God. But even the omnipresence of God is at work. The omnipresence of God is in every bar on Saturday night, sitting beside the drunks. It's in every church, every home, every business, every political office. The omnipresence of God is there. And the eyes of the Lord are on the earth watching everything that's going on. His omnipresence is there. There came a time, we know the story, Moses was born. Pharaoh wanted all the, the male children to be killed. And Moses was found in the river, pulled out of the river. He was raised up in Pharaoh's house. And then later on, he went to visit his people, the Israelites, the Hebrews. We know that he killed a man and he fled into the desert. So all the way through this, there's never any revelation about who God was. It was the omnipresence of God, but the omnipresence of God was working to fulfill everything that God said. I will raise up a deliverer in Egypt that will lead my people out of slavery, out of bondage, and bring them back to the promised land. So all these things that were happening with Moses and his house and him going into the wilderness and marrying a woman and keeping Jethro's flock, this was still the omnipresence of God working but it was very limited in its ability. So where did it shift? The burning bush. That day, the omnipresence of God shifted to the manifest presence of God. And suddenly a revelation came to Moses. I am the God that has watched over you your entire life. I am the God that saved you out of the river. I'm the God that kept Pharaoh from killing you. I'm the God who saw you raised up in Pharaoh's house. And now I'm the God that speaks to you. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is who I am. And I am manifesting my presence. And it's the manifest presence that doesn't just oversee and fulfill the word of God, but now it acts in power and confronts the things of this earth. So up until then, the omnipresence of God had kept Moses in a, a smaller state of identification of who God was. 
But when that manifestation of his presence showed up, the Israelites were about to walk free. The gods of Egypt were about to be confronted. So, there's a lot of parallels here I can go into. This is why I'm talking about this today. Because the church has become content with the omnipresence of God and we're just thinking I'm born again, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven and I can be happy. But God wants to confront the false gods of this world and shake the nations before we get out of here. And he wants to do it by identifying himself to his people and his people releasing his manifest presence. That's the only way it's going to happen. There are churches, buku, across this nation this morning that showed up and they are content with the omnipresence of God. They are content to be held in Egypt, to be held in bondage, to make bricks for Pharaoh. They are content because they know my hope lies in heaven. Jesus will come back and get me and I'm out of here. But where is the reward of the lamb in the omnipresence of God? There's got to be a manifestation of his presence. Second, you can look at the life of David. David's out in the field just worshiping the Lord, watching sheep. It's kind of a boring job. There's not a whole lot to do. God saw him. God knew his heart. He was worshiping the Lord. He was loving on Jesus. He was loving life. There was occasional times when the bear would come, the lion would come, and the manifest presence would come on David, and David would rise up and take out the lion, take out the bear. That was the manifest presence. When he gets out to the battlefield where the Philistines are gathered against the Israelites, Goliath starts running his mouth and Israel's army was operating, battling, warring in the omnipresence of God. But David had seen the manifest presence of God. And that's why he said, why are y'all standing here letting this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine, talked to the army of God's people because he had experienced the manifest presence of God and he said, I'll take him out. This is the difference between the omnipresence and the manifest presence. The omnipresence is good. God sees us. He's looking out for us. He'll even protect us. He'll take care of us. But there's a level of bondage that's there because the enemy is not threatened by the omnipresence of God. You can see the truth in this when David finally became king and in patience he waited on the Lord to promote him. When he finally became king, what was the first thing he wanted to do? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Well, why do you want the Ark of the Covenant? You've already proven that God is with you because I want the manifest presence of God poured out on the nation of Israel. And Peter prophesied it in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. He said, now is it fulfilled that I will raise up again the tabernacle of David in the earth. On the day of Pentecost, it was fulfilled. The manifest presence of God is now ready to spread across the entire earth. Not just the omnipresence. But what happened on the day of Pentecost, the omnipresence broke through the veil and the manifest presence showed itself. And as a result, thousands get saved. So the omnipresence of God. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Hebrews 4.13 says, And there is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he must give account. 
So we've got the omnipresence of God. Next is the inner dwelling. The inner dwelling is when we get born again and the omnipresence of God now takes up residence within us. So before then, the only void in the whole universe, before we got saved, the only void in the universe of the presence of God was within us. He saw us. He knows us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our emotions. But he is not within us. That's the difference between the Christian and the heathen. There is a void there. Just like at creation, there was no presence of God on the rock that we now call earth until the Father took a breath and released the Word of God with the Holy Spirit and made creation. Before we got born again, we were void, we were empty, we were in darkness. The Spirit of God was everywhere, omnipresent, except within us. That'll test some theology. Acts 17.24 The God who made the world and all things in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temple, temples made with hands. Does, yeah, does not dwell in temples made with hands. When we get born again, we become the temple of God. And that omnipresence comes compact and takes up residence within us. All right, so we've got the omnipresence of God. Everybody falling off a bar stool last night, the omnipresence of God was there. He saw what happened. He was weeping over them. Everybody that woke up this morning at sunrise, saved or sinner, the omnipresence was watching over them. But when they get born again, the presence of God is now within them and it's the inner dwelling. So how do we get from the omnipresence to the inner presence through salvation? But now... Through God's covenant and his promises, he wants to take his presence from the inner dwelling to the manifestation. Because again, this is where he confronts the darkness and redeems his creation. So if you got your Bible, turn real quick to Romans 8, verse 8. Romans 8, verse 8, it says, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So even though there are bukus of people, billions of people that are in the omnipresence of God, they are in the flesh. Despite being in the omnipresence of God, they are in the flesh, and as a result, they cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. All right, so... A couple of times we see the word dwell mentioned in the scripture that we just read. But they're actually different in the Greek. The one means that the Holy Spirit is within your spirit. All right. When the Spirit, Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, he lives in your spirit. He dwells within you. 
you now belong to Christ. You, that's your ticket to heaven. The Holy Spirit, his omnipresence has now taken up residence in you. But the other time, the second time the word dwell is mentioned in verse 11, it means to dwell in fullness. So the difference is like this. If the Holy Spirit came by and said, hey, I need a place to stay for the night, and you said, okay, well, I've got an extra room in the back, so you put the Holy Spirit in that back room. You're blessed because the Holy Spirit is now in your house. His presence is there, but he's in that one room that you have assigned to him. The other word for dwell means that you've given him free reign to the whole house. Holy Spirit, you just help yourself. You wake up in the middle of the night, you want a snack, here's the refrigerator, get you something to drink, just make yourself at home, you've got it all. This is the fullness of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because so many people in the church, they are born again and the Holy Spirit lives within them, but they're not working to get the Holy Spirit beyond the veil of the flesh for his manifest presence. So how does that happen? By me now surrendering, not just to receive salvation, but for him to take possession. For me to give him my mind, give him my heart, give him my will. Now he dwells in fullness within me. And this is the Greek word. So the one means to dwell, to be in one compartment, one area of my life. The other word dwell means he's got full reign throughout me. So this is where we've got to start 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, all right, what are we fighting for? Okay, the first battle is this. Now that I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, all right, I'm saved, I'm born again, but there's now a battle for the devil to keep my soul in its current state because he knows the day that I figure out there's more to this than salvation, that I can have the mind of Christ and I can begin to think like him, which if I begin to think like him, I will feel like him and those feelings and emotions will compel me to act like him. And next thing you know, I'm redeeming the people and all creation around me. So the battle is against the mind. So the devil is working so hard in the church to occupy our mind with everything in the world when Jesus is just saying, if you'll get in the word, it'll renew your mind and it'll make a place where the Holy Spirit says, man, out of every room in the house, this is where I want to sleep. Because in here, you're thinking like Jesus, and there's an interaction and a relationship now that's going on. So, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. But, and I'll quote this the way it is in the, in the original Greek, though our weapons are divinely empowered to pull down strongholds for casting down imaginations. What are imaginations? They are images of what we think about ourselves and about everyone and everything else that God does not think. This is where the battle is. These, thought, these weapons are divinely empowered to pull down strongholds, to cast down the images in our mind 
to bring down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience to Christ and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience until your obedience is fulfilled. What he's talking about here is how to get the Holy Spirit from your innermost being to flow out into your entire soul. Once that happens, you're only one step from releasing the presence of God. I'm telling you, all these things that we are challenged with, all these things that are rising up in earth, the, the, the darkness has taken power, taken authority, nation against nation. We're, we're so afraid that this is going to happen, that's going to happen. When, once God gets the church to start releasing the manifest presence of God, then we will begin to see his kingdom has come and now his will is done. So let's talk about the manifest presence real quick. And then Terry Henry is going to help us. So how do we get the manifest presence of God? I want to encourage you in this, in your suffering. 1 Peter 1.11 says, The Spirit of Christ in the, in the prophets of old was indicating when the Holy Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the resulting glory. Christ's suffering resulted in glory, and so does yours if you see it, that you are suffering with Christ. So what are you going through right now? What are you battling through? What is the enemy coming against you with? Look at it as I'm suffering with him. I'm not alone. I'm holding Jesus's hand through this whole thing, and he will receive glory because the manifest presence of God is about to be released in your circumstances. Don't believe what the doctors told you. Don't believe what the devil's telling you. Hold the hand of Jesus and worship him in the midst of your suffering and watch his manifest presence be released in your life. Number two, awareness of him. The prophet said to the Lord, the, 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 servant of the, uh, the servant of the prophet came and he said, we're surrounded, there's no way out, they're going to kill us. And he said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. And once that awareness came to the servant, doubt was killed. And now there was an atmosphere where God could begin to move. Why would the prophet want his servant to see? Just to encourage him? Because the doubt that was there in that servant was creating an atmosphere contrary to the Holy Spirit and God being able to move you release what you're aware of. So there's a few things that hinder the manifest presence of God. Things like being critical. See, when we're critical of things, we're not seeing the redemptive power of God. And man, we all know there's a thousand and one things to be critical about, but God doesn't want to hear it. God wants to hear, how are you going to redeem it? How are you going to go to those things that you see are a problem, are an issue, and release my manifest presence on it so that I can work, so that I can move? An awareness of him. Open the eyes of my servant. A testimony. A testimony releases the presence of God. 
Everybody in here, we need to sit down every day for a week and, and write down one testimony and come back next week with seven testimonies. What is a testimony? It bears witness that Jesus is alive and he has worked in my life and I have overcome by the power of his name. A true testimony is a declaration that something happened on earth as it does in heaven and it releases the manifest presence of God. Number three, deeds done in his name. So there's a lot of good going on on the earth, but how many of those good things are happening in the name of Jesus? Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Proverbs 19, 17, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and God will repay him for his deeds. So just a kind act release the manifest presence of God. How about blessing and witnessing? How about just telling someone who they are in Christ, even if you look stupid? I love going in a coffee shop and telling some heathen who they are in Christ. I tell them who they are first and get their attention and they get all excited, and then I tell them that's what Jesus says about you. So be it. Blessing and witnessing. Here's an easy one. Thoughts of Him. You want the presence of God filling your house? Just begin to think about the Lord. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your inner man with all vigilance, for from your inner man flows the springs of life. What is your inner man? It's your thoughts. It's your emotions. Love the Lord. Just sitting in, in the house, loving the Lord, thinking about Him, fills your house with His manifest presence. Look at, again, the difference between the, in Egypt, the omnipresence and the manifest presence. Ask. Just ask. Lord, will you come? Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. How about we just ask him? Lord, will you let your presence rest on me? Will you let your presence fill my house? Lord, let your presence rest on my marriage, my family, my children. I'm asking, everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open to them. All right, two more things. Number one, or second to the last, wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord. And man, this is such a huge obstacle <laughs> for humanity. Nobody wants to wait for anything. Even if God promises us so much, do I really have to wait? I thought I've been waiting. Those who will wait upon the Lord, He promised, I will renew your strength. 
I will put wings of eagles upon you. You will run even with scissors in your hand and you won't get hurt. <laughs> and you will not be weary. You will walk and not faint. Psalm 37, 34 says, Wait for the Lord. And while you're waiting, keep His way. And the result is, He will exalt you to inherit the land. What if the Lord said, look, every morning for one week, I just want you to get in my presence. Doesn't take long. And then just wait on me there. And after one week, I will have given you the strength, the vision, the altitude, the authority to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. This is a hidden treasure, man, that we've just forgotten about. We're so busy running to the next greatest thing. And the Lord's saying, just wait. And then last, this might be one of my favorites, is worship. Worship releases the manifest presence of God. When you wait upon the Lord, you will, you will eventually feel, I'm telling you, this is hard. I've even talked with other ministers about waiting upon the Lord and they're like, man, if he doesn't show up in five minutes, I just feel rejected and I just go home and pout and maybe come back in a couple days and try it again. But if you'll just sit in the presence of the Lord and wait till he comes, when he does, it's his manifest presence. So then last, to release the manifest presence of God is worship. I say this is one of my favorites because I'm a huge fan of Catherine Kuhlman. She really didn't preach. Check this out. Nobody ever recorded ever hearing Catherine Kuhlman speak in tongues. Isn't that crazy? So what was her secret? She just got everybody to worship. Just worship Him. And worship Him some more. And then people would start jumping up and yelling, I'm healed. Well, man, you're 150 feet from the stage. Who prayed for you? Nobody. I was just worshiping. And the manifest presence of God came and healed. It's not the omnipresence of God that heals. It's not the inner dwelling of the Holy Spirit that heals. It's the manifest presence of God that heals. And worship from people that tap into their spirit and get beyond their thoughts and their emotions, they start releasing rivers of living water. What is that? That is the manifest presence of God.